we are going to start our intro in a three, a two. Oh, oh, wait, I guess I should check my mic levels. We've spent the past three weeks bitching about technology, but we finally got the technology figured out. So now what's my source material? Eat the rich. All I hear when you say this is... The literal trash. The penises can kiss. <laughs> And welcome to episode five of Sibling Sibling Rants. Woo! It's your big brother, Andrew. And your little sister, Bronwyn. And uh, we'll kick right in here with our land acknowledgement. So, as Andrew and I sit on Zoom to record this episode, we are reminded that our homes in Cambridge and Kitchener are situated on land that is the traditional home of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and neutral people. We recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this region, and we also recognize the contributions Indigenous peoples have made in shaping and strengthening this community. We are grateful for the opportunity to create on these lands together and reaffirm our commitment to truth and reconciliation in our community. I actually was 100% going to, like, launch into just the start of it because I'm slowly locking it into memory here, and I was like, oh, this would be really nice for me to start. And then the second the moment came after you did the intro, my mind went blank and I went, I don't remember any of the words, so I'm gonna just pass this over to Bronwyn so I don't sound like an asshole. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) It's okay. I also realized too, and I was starting to tell you before we got rolling on this, that like, I realize that I'm hard-pressed for... I won't be hard-pressed because we'll find funny things that we say for the cold up in the beginning of this, but I was like, we've spent the past three weeks bitching about technology, but we finally got the technology figured out, so now what's my source material? Okay, but but don't jinx it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, look, I can see my signature laugh show up in the waves again. <laughs> I loved that. We both had uh, it was really, too good. La- like very distinctive laughs, which is part of what makes us great. So <laughs> it is what makes us great. Actually, you know what else makes us great, too? Um, I mean, there is a number of things, but you and I got talking last week about how we, we went to this digression about country music, but then we brought it back and we thought it was really conversational and it just it worked. Uh, And I told you I'd had a similar thought in listening to last week's episode because I threw you out of the blue, the it's your big brother, Andrew, and you replied and your little sister Bronwyn without even missing a beat. Y'all don't understand. This is not scripted. (laughs) It's true. We we are not scripted. (laughs) We do not pre-plan these things. And we're still obviously because we're in the early stages of our podcast, we're trying to figure out, okay, like what's. What exactly is our tempo here? Where where exactly is the natural groove for an intro and those kind of things? Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of digging the feel of that one. But yeah, yeah, I threw it at Bronwyn at a left fucking field and she just picked it up like a champ and ran with it. <laughs> I love it. I I mean, I so I'm not I'm not really good scripted. Um, I don't like I come across sounding really like robotic and like I'm not I'm not a trained actress. So <laughs> I'm sure with some training that could be fixed. But I uh, yeah, scripting is not my thing. So I just like to fly by the seat of my pants. And sometimes that's going in an entire new direction with a conversation and then eventually bringing it back. <laughs> it is. We, we've got rants upon rants. I, we got a few of them this week. Um, but I do want to start on a high note because Bronwyn came into the, the Zoom call with me and I, my mind was blown. Uh, because uh, for those of you who may not necessarily pay attention to uh, media news so much, specifically music news, uh, Daft Punk has announced that they are 
finally splitting up. Right. Uh, that The band has been around since 1993. They have existed for the vast majority of our lives. And I say our being mine and Bronwyn, not necessarily <laughs> our listeners. I mean, we do have a pretty broad demographic age-wise. Um, but they have been so iconic and so legendary for years. Um, and my friend Ricky, I was Snapchatting with her today. Uh, so also shout out Ricky. Because uh, I told you I would give you a shout out of the podcast and I was going to bring this up. Um, she told me they posted a YouTube video yesterday called Epilogue. Oh. And she was she was like, it's an eight minute video. Go watch it. I just, just finished watching it when Bronwyn jumped into the Zoom call. And I swear to you guys, if you like Daft Punk uh, or even remotely have an idea of who they are, I highly recommend go to YouTube and search Daft Punk Epilogue. And watch it. These guys, for being completely covered in bike helmets, and you can't see face, the expression that is driven through this video, I had chills. It sent shivers through my friggin' body because the artistry that they produce while saying absolutely nothing is unfucking real. Um, And also leads, (laughs) Ricky says it leads to some conspiracy theory. Uh, because the nature of looking at epilogue, it starts to look like one of them might have stepped back from this um, and possibly due to health reasons. Mm-hmm. Nothing's been announced as to why they are, have announced that they're splitting. Uh, and it's the end of it. It's just the the look of the video. The conspiracy theory is perhaps that might be a reason to it. Uh, but then there was also a thing going around on Facebook that someone was like, Daft Punk 100% should have passed off the helmets and the name to another two people and they could have just kept rolling with it and no one would have been any the fucking wiser. And it's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It is true. No one really knows what they look like, but also in the same swing as an artist, I can respect when you have a legacy that long in music, it's tough to want to just pass that off to somebody else. And especially with something like electronic music, you really need to have have a successor who's got the same taste and flow that you do already to continue it so that you're maintaining consistency with that. So, I mean, in any case, much love to Daft Punk. Um, (laughs) I personally am very sad to see them disband. Who knows? Maybe there'll be comeback tours in the future. I guarantee you they are top trending on a lot of places right now because people are like, oh my God, I got to listen to Daft Punk now because that's what I did at work all day. I hate to admit that like, like I know who they are and I know some of, I I mean, I'm sure I know a lot more of the music that I can think of in my head right now because yeah, but um, I'm actually like the weirdest music lover. (laughs) I'm like... I don't know band names very well. I like I recognize things by song. I'm very much the type of person who like I, I'll find a, like an album or a song that I like and I'll just listen to it on repeat until I'm sick of it and then move on to something else. Like like people people are always like, "Oh, you have a music degree. You must have like <laughs> you must have like a really wide range of like music." And I'm like, "I like pop music." <laughs> Having a music degree like, just means you're good at hearing weird harmonies and singing I like them. Taylor Swift, uh, you know, like, yeah, just whatever. <laughs> just, I remember I used to, when I was in my undergrad, 
I used to like shy away from saying I liked pop music as much as I do. And I'd be like, yeah, I love classical music. I'm like, I do love classical music. I, I have always loved classical music. My favorite is Mozart's Requiem because I like depressing things. Um, but <laughs> I always have. I much prefer depressing music to happy music. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I always felt like I was getting judged if I didn't if I didn't have very specific classical and like, I don't know, romantic music and things like that that I liked. Um, and well, it's, it's because I... so much pop music this day is seen as um, fluffy, lacking depth, uh, or lacking any real insight or inspiration. Which is so interesting because pop music for me has always been a way to express my emotions. Like any breakup, any um, like really sad thing that I'm going through. This is why I love depressing music. I like sad music. But like any sad thing that I'm going through has always been backed up with a soundtrack. And um, even if it's one song on repeat, you know, to help me process and those songs will always be linked to that, that, that time in my life uh, or those times in my life. But I, I find that like, yeah, sure. Is pop music more, more simplistic than orchestral music might be. Um, yeah, sure. But it's amazing. And I think we touched on this a little bit the last podcast, but it's amazing what you can do with five notes. Um, and it's amazing yeah. the emotion that you can grab with it, right? Like the way that you can connect to music. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that you can like lock memories into a very specific um like piece of music like i was talking to uh my friend lexi um uh one of the past two days day or yesterday i can't remember days don't matter anymore um (laughs) and she was talking about coming across a song that reminded her of um when she was like grieving an ex and and how it really hit hard because it like those memories were locked into that song forever and i was like yeah totally i mean even from my relationship at the beginning of 2020 there was one song in particular that played um on uh it was playing in her car right before we started officially dating when we were like we were walking around niagara on the lake together and we were driving around niagara and um pre-covid what a world (laughs) and we were just walking around and really really enjoying each other's company and it was the first time we had kind of a glimpse of what the future could look like and it was just really exciting and there was this one song that played that like now if i hear it i have to turn it off because (laughs) because it reminds me too much of that right it's so i think and i find that while classical music has the ability to do some of that to me i find pop music holds those memories easier for me um so i think that's why i connect with it a lot more well, and I, it depends what your experiences are with classical music, too, uh, as to what emotions those are going to invoke mm-hmm. with you. Um, you know, I didn't take a music degree, but I actually was a musician long before I was a vocalist, yep. uh, which is great because it means I can read mu- sheet music uh, <laughs> going into music theater, which is a delightful plus sometimes and also a curse. But that's another story. <laughs> but uh I know, like, I have an entire Spotify playlist that is just dedicated to orchestral music. Mm -hmm. uh, And my favorite actual compilation of pieces is Gustav Holst's The Planets. Oh, yeah. Like, just... But also, because I'm a video game nerd, too, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant video game orchestral soundtracks, which also occupy the vast majority of that playlist. Um, And I've gone to... The Final Fantasy Distant Worlds concerts. I've gone to the video games live concerts, and I promise you, they are 
unbelievable experiences to sit there and listen to. Um, And a lot of us gamers, particularly too, especially because um, it ties us not only to a a memory in our own head, but it ties us to a specific point in the game, a -hmm. specific moment when something happened. Um, There's a a beautiful piece called To Xanarkin from the Final Fantasy X game series. And it starts with this gorgeous soft piano and the second you hear the first couple notes anyone who has played 10 it just sends instant chills and you've just like i we sat and listened to it in the concert and my buddy jogo was sitting next to me and he actually like teared up a little bit like tears welled in his eyes because it's just it's beautiful and moving so like there there are memories and absolutely i mean well i mean there's a reason why um like in music therapy when they're using it with uh with um uh, people with alzheimer's for example like there have been many situations where a piece of music has brought somebody back to a specific memory even in the in the height of like extreme alzheimer's extreme dementia um the power of music is is phenomenal um speaking of video game music that one of the pieces that i was introduced to uh before i even like I don't game a lot. I have a switch. That's, <laughs> but like, um, uh, one of the pieces I was introduced to in my undergrad from a friend at the time was, um, Baba Yetu, uh, Baba Yetu, which is the, it's the introduction to, it was the theme song for the 2005 video game civilization four. Um, I love that oh song. Oh my God. And part of it is the, is the choir. It's the, it's the, oh. it's the African choir in the background. And I just have to say that like, choral music for me can affect me like like i love pop music but like very well done harmonies and in, in in choral music in the right setting has the ability something about voices in that capacity has the ability to like send full shivers down my whole body like it's that i have like these like dissociative moments while i'm listening to certain choral pieces that are just like i am in that moment in itself like that's it like that's it. there's nothing else that exists um i remember in high school i was a huge choir nerd um and we had some really phenomenal like we had some really good choirs at my high school because of the arts program and uh this one i don't know if you've heard of eric whitaker um, the name rings a bell yeah he's a pretty famous american choral composer very popular uh choral music he does the big virtual choirs um that are really popular but he he composed this piece uh oh shoot i forget what it's called um anyway it doesn't matter uh where he it's essentially like mimicking the sounds of rain and um oh my god i remember listening to the concert choir do this at i think i was in grade 10 i was listening to concert choir do this at the kiwanis festival and I sat on the edge of my seat as they started like using their like um, like snapping their fingers to mimic rain in different patterns and just and then the the swelling of their voices. And I just like I remember my jaw dropped to the floor and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. and I'm like, oh, my God, the power of the voice, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. don't actually love individual singing voices as much. Like I, I listen to a lot of other singers as as a singer go go oh my god i've never heard a voice that good i don't hear that i think in the way that other people do i can appreciate a really good voice but i don't get the same sensation that i do when you combine voices um i much prefer 
choir over individual singers. Whereas I will hear people go, oh my God, that soprano. I've never heard a voice so clear and so crisp and so beautiful. And uh, and I know when people, and it, maybe it's because I'm hypercritical of myself, but I know when people have said like, they've never heard a voice like mine, things like that. Like, I don't believe them because I don't hear it, right? Like I, I've just, I've never heard one voice individually that has made me think that. Um, yeah. But voices combined together creating these like beautiful swells of music like i just oh that kills me it's so good anyway (laughs) well well, it's funny because when you mention baba yetu there's another a piece because they did baba yetu actually when i went to the video games live concert here in kitchener (laughs) and it's to listen to the recording i like i still i have all of the tracks locked into my brain but there's Mm -hmm. another one too and i think uh, I think it's from the video game series called The Mist. Okay. Um, and it could be that one, or it could have been the World of Warhammer, or sorry, World of Warcraft. Oh my god! Don't don't hate. <laughs> don't come for me. I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> uh, it could have been the Warcraft medley uh, that they did, but I can hear it crystal clear in my head. Uh, the sound of the choir of voices, and there is nothing quite like sitting in the audience. And just being met with this unbelievable wall of sound when oh, a yeah. choir comes in together and it's full and it's it's just, ugh. I mean, I appreciate yes. an individual singer too, yeah. um, because in music theater, obviously a lot of the work revolves around the solo, but mm-hmm. I also respect and really find the beauty um, when there is the rest of the ensemble filling out the notes so it's like yeah you can have that one person but it's not as impressive when you don't have everyone else behind them as well one of my favorite quotes and it's actually from a movie i wish it was real i could not find evidence that mozart had actually said this so it was just <laughs> created for the movie but the movie amadeus people are always shocked by this because i love history and they're like but the movie amadeus isn't historically accurate and i'm like i don't care it's set in the 18th century and they did a phenomenal job <laughs> like of at least recreating how immature he was and whatnot like Anyway, um, but it's one of my favorite movies, Amadeus. And um, in the movie, when he's when Mozart's trying to explain um, to oh my gosh, um, what is the the king? It's not the king. He's not the king, is he? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, when he's trying to explain why um, his piece should be should be able to be composed and performed. He's, he talks about, and I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this super well, super good justice, but I'll try. Um, he says, you know, when you have a room full of people and one person starts speaking and the other person starts speaking over them, it just, and, and another person speaks over that, it just becomes noise and, 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 and gibberish and, and, and it becomes nonsense. You can't understand what's going on. You can't hear it. But when you have singers and you have one singer who's then enhanced by another singer, who's then enhanced by another all the way up to 16, 20, 30 singers all at once. And you have music. And it was just like that. I have always loved that quote because it's so true. It's, it's our voices are absolutely amplified in what we can do when we're singing together. And I I think that's one of the things about choral music that's so powerful is human voice creating this kind of power, you know, this kind of, this kind of emotion. This I wrote a paper in my undergrad about some is about Eric Whitaker's pieces, a couple of them, but about how it was able to mimic. It was for an aesthetics course, and it was how music, specifically through choral music, 
could actually mimic emotions. It like they could they they could create the size and the mourns of, of grief and have it um, be recognized as that emotion in a way that other instruments just can't do. Right? Like we, it's anyway. It's I could talk about this for a really long time. I haven't <laughs> talked about music like this in a while, but I that's one of the things I absolutely adore about about music and about choir specifically. Um, but I haven't been in a choir that I have loved that much in a really long time. Right? Like it's hard to find really good choirs as an adult um, where everybody just loves doing it for the love of doing it. Um, I know when I went to university, I was really disappointed because I loved choir in high school. And then I got to university and nobody actually wanted to be in choir and it just felt like a chore. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. That's, that's when you get your enjoyment from being part of the ensemble doing music theater shows. I know which... you've been trying to get me into this. I almost did. And then COVID and then, well, and then I got really busy and couldn't audition, but then COVID hit and I couldn't audition to anything else. So <laughs> so close it's okay it will happen you'll get me there one will, day there there will be shows again i, I have yeah, to say so, a show with the two of us as leads would be awesome oh absolutely <laughs> it would be uh especially depending on the show because there are some amazingly crafted ones that i think you and i would be hysterical in it would also be really funny if we both played straight people because that's a, that's a funny joke oh i <laughs> I play a straight man like nobody's yeah, business Yeah, because most stage. characters are straight. So I know. And being a male, I default have better percentage odds of getting a lead role. Mm. Uh, and most of them are written as straight men. Most of yeah. them are also written as tenors, which I'm not. I'm just a baritone with a broad range, yes. and I bullshit a tenor like nobody's business. Yeah, there you go. This is, I mean, I feel like that's a lot easier to do in, in musical theater anyway. Um, so... It's good. Yeah. So whether you love pop music or whether you love classical or whether you're like us and you enjoy both, it doesn't matter. Music is amazing. Music can hold wonderful memories for people. Um, and this was a 20 minute tangent that I didn't think we were going to start on, but here we this are. This is why we don't script it. Cause we just end up with pure gold, Andrew, pure gold. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So if you do happen to follow us on our socials, tell us what your favorite type of music, who's your favorite artist that's unexpected or people are like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, tell us. We would like to engage with you guys. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, Speaking of engaging got... with people on social media. <laughs> that's a good segue. Here's the segue. <laughs> oh my God. I, okay. So, I mean, for anybody listening to this who might not know me, um, I have this. Uh, and I think Andrew and I talked about it in one of the previous podcasts a little bit, but like I have this compulsion where I am unable to just let things go on social media and like not comment. (laughs) And I've learned over the years when to like pick my battles and whatnot. Like if somebody's very clearly just being a bigot, I'll sometimes say my piece, leave it there so that like anybody else who's reading this can see another side to the argument. And then I'll, I'll leave and never come back to it kind of thing or whatever. So I, I do know how to do that. I do know what self-care is, but I just, I get pulled into these like, well, I do it to myself. I'm not really pulled into them, but I, I'm going to call it a gravitational pull. Um, I get pulled into these like stupid arguments on posts that I like randomly see on Facebook that I think sometimes must just be like placed in my vision because I'm supposed to comment. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's the, like, they range from, like fucking everything um but i came across this one i think it was yesterday where this post was about like um like using saran wrap in your fridge instead of 
um, having to clean it because like for a lot of people cleaning your fridge is not the first thing on your task list some of us are way too busy to take the time it's a like a pretty great life hack like I might do it <laughs> to be honest uh, for my ADHD that would be a great thing there's lots of people with disabilities who that might be a lot easier for than like taking the time to take apart and and clean your fridge and whatnot so anyway I thought it was anyway, it was just a post with that I think somebody I know commented on it and so I saw this person I saw like somebody else's comment because of this but this woman goes on and she's like posts like this both make me like laugh and also just really angry because think about like how bad for the environment that is people need to stop being so lazy it was something it was something along those lines right it was essentially alluding to the fact that people are lazy and stop contributing to climate change by being lazy whatever and so of course like i see this and i'm like i can't i can't help myself <laughs> i can't let it go <laughs> so <laughs> I, I comment and i'm like hey so you know i get where your frustration comes from but also Let's remember that there are lots of people who don't have the time. I, you know what? I wasn't this nice about it. I'm pretty sure I was more aggressive, but no, I wasn't weren't. that nice. Um, but I was. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I read the first little bit. I of think responses. it was more like or or some people have disabilities and can't clean their fridge really easily. Get over it. Some people don't have time. Get over it. Some people like don't want to clean their fridge get over it and then i and then i said you know let's stop being angry at the individual for contributing a little more to the landfills which like we need to be aware of our carbon footprint yes but <laughs> let's stop getting so angry at individual people and focus our anger for once on the actual greedy corporations that are not being held accountable to climate change corporations governments who are a slave to these corporations like let's be mad at them collectively instead of villainizing individuals somebody else jumps on this woman never responded to me somebody else jumps on and they're like they're like i don't buy that you can have like a disability and not be able to clean your fridge i have a disability and, and i can clean my fridge just fine it just takes a little longer and i of course i'm like riled up at this point and i go on and i'm like Mm, so interesting did you did your disability also stop you from being able to understand that other people's disabilities are not your disability I, it seems like it but regardless <laughs> regardless of that point let's be mad at corporations okay these like the biggest things that contribute to climate change are the like <laughs> these emissions coming from like huge processing plants they are the fishing nets being left in the oceans like fishing nets left like fishing um like the, the the waste left by fisheries is the biggest contribution to to ocean waste right like to like to, to garbage in the ocean it's it, it, ocean pollution that's what i'm looking for like it's just it's let's be angry at these and she comes back and she's like she's like your points don't make any sense like let's get to the real point and then somebody else jumps on and she's like i think we need to be angry at the individual because like imagine if every single person did this and like that's there's seven billion people on this earth what if what if everybody saw this and 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 started doing it imagine how much extra plastic would be in the landfills and i had to respond i, I didn't have to respond i responded and said okay let's <laughs> stop it with the logical fallacies not every person is going to see this like not not that many people are going to see this everybody who sees it isn't going to do it <laughs> lots of people who see it are going to have the same opinions as you like again 
this is not contributing to climate change the same as these big corporations. Let's focus it there. And she kept going like, you keep trying to like make no sense to prove your point. Um, you keep doing that. And I was like, okay, you have a great day, but also don't forget about the big corporations. Like I'm just, so, I mean, the point of this rant is more just, I am so tired of seeing people villainize individuals for things that could be better controlled and better fixed by regulating huge greedy fucking corporations and governments that are not being held accountable it's the same during covid governments and corporations are not being held accountable for the spread of this of covid but individuals who are for the most part i mean there are lots of individuals not doing their part and there are distinctions there like there are people that contribute to climate change in really really negative ways and they don't give a fuck about it like there is a difference between that and people just trying to do their best right and i think we need to be careful of that but let's not automatically villainize somebody for let's say traveling overseas to see a family member who's dying or who's not doing well during a pandemic when they have done everything else right <laughs> and the governments yeah. have not been stepping in to ensure that there is better regulation that there is like better closures better lockdowns better resources for people you know it's <laughs> we are so quick to be like yeah let's pick on the little guy <laughs> and it drives me yeah insane so that's that is my rant. <laughs> so I got two things <laughs> yes, to, yeah. to run off of that with. First off, for any of you who are on TikTok, I hope you can appreciate this reference because one of your things that you started there 100% reminded me of the TikTok user Chelsea Hart is me. She is an Alaskan woman who lives in the UK and she is all about snarking, sassing, and just calling the fuck out. <laughs> misogyny and racism and everything else but also alluding to the fact that these people jump into the comment sections and make unbiased arg or un unfounded yeah. arguments and she stands there and she'll be like all i hear when oh you God, say this, this is. is i love her <laughs> she makes my yeah. fucking life um so if you're someone who is very pro-activism uh, i highly recommend checking her out uh, she is a fucking delight um and her signature going off screen going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, so good. <laughs> just <laughs> she's fucking magical and you said something there that i was just waiting for it to be followed up with all i hear is <laughs> i mean i do say things like that a lot like i've started when i comment on things um i've started saying things like imagine being this upset about somebody having less things than you and you know like it's just it's <laughs> because that uh. happens when you've been like doing this type of activism for a while and you no longer give a fuck like when people are just not learning it and you like i i talked about this when i used to talk about feminism because people were like you're an angry feminist and initially i was like no i'm not and then eventually i was like yeah yeah i am i'm 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 angry i'm an angry <laughs> feminist and like there's a fucking reason for that the reason why anybody becomes angry is because nobody fucking listens you know <laughs> and then eventually you just turn into this like overly sarcastic asshole about it you're like oh yeah i don't care anymore i don't i don't care about your feelings like stop being an asshole like <laughs> It's the yeah. progression. It's the natural progression. <laughs> but I do find <laughs> yeah. it's funnier. So, so eventually we'll just reach a point where Bronwyn's TikTok is going to look a lot like Chelsea Hart is me. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a possibility. It will be magical. Um, but then the second thing, so you and I actually got discussing this uh, via Snapchat earlier today. Um, and so I went digging too, because obviously, while this is a personal podcast, we want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to not yeah. spread misinformation uh, and that we're trying to be as accurate as we can on our end. Um, and so first off, <laughs> a little bit of Googling on this. It actually turns out it's fairly difficult to find statistics and numbers, mainly because big corporations have a major impact on government sites. So governments yep. want to say, oh, look, um, you know, it's all based on the individual and these are <laughs> what individual carbon footprints are like, but there's really not a lot, uh, which then means you have to kind of, you have to ruffle through non-government websites. And of course, obviously, when you're dealing with those, um, you need to make sure that these websites are credible sources, that yeah. they're being authentic. Uh, so I found one that actually cites a lot of different references here. Um, and it says, for individuals, uh, general trends for who's largely responsible for carbon footprints are those in the upper class. Mm -hmm. The top 10% consuming households contribute 40 to 51% of global fossil fuel emissions. Um, and it just makes sense because they're the ones who have access to resources and travel and power. Someone who's making 100k plus a year isn't going to bat an eye about having the house nice and roasty, toasty, warm in the middle yeah. of winter. Meanwhile, your single mother renting an apartment that doesn't include their heat and hydro is going to be like, okay, we're going to put this at like a comfortable level so my children and I don't freeze, but we're not going to crank it and we're certainly yeah. not going to crank it on off-peak hours. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's a huge thing dealing with socioeconomic standings in relation to carbon footprints. Surprise, surprise. Blame yeah. the rich. Eat so, the rich. in 2012, <laughs> they actually did a study on rich urban citizens in China uh, and they actually found that the rich ones had 6.4 tons as a carbon footprint compared to the rural citizens and the poor urban citizens who had footprints of 0 0.5 to 1.6 tons of carbon. Oh my God. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, China's a pretty solid place to look at these things because yep. they have such a dense population in areas. So it's it's real easy to draw the drastic difference. Um, and we may think, oh, well, that's China. That's not us, whatever. But it's very similar here. Um, I think the difference is we have a lot more middle ground between the upper, you know, one to 10% versus what is considered poverty line or below. Yeah. Um, and so just because we have that middle ground, so many of us get swept up in this, like what might be. Um, I could be rich one day. That's the, that's the middle ground. <laughs> right. That's, that's the deluded American yeah. dream. Have fun and with that. Canadian. Um, yeah. Sorry. And then, um, on the flip side of that, though, as far as corporations go, a report from 2017, so really not that long ago, um, on large corporations, it found that only 100 companies are responsible for 71% of emissions, and this heavily skews the carbon footprints caused by businesses because with so many of these companies being in the back pockets of governments, whatever, or government agencies don't think them think of them as being major contributing factors, it means that not all of them are responsible for reporting. Yep. So these reports and findings end up stating that, you know, it looks, yes, the major corporations are problematic uh, in that you've got like your gas companies, your oil companies, those ones are the ones we largely think of first because we think of fossil fuel um, and as far as um, eco emissions and all of that jazz. Um, 
we tend to lean towards them first, but there's so many other companies that utilize a lot that contribute to our carbon footprints of businesses as a whole that we're not getting accurate statistics of who's responsible for what. So like it, it's, it is heavily skewed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not that big businesses aren't doing these things. They very clearly obviously are it. We just can't pinpoint who exactly is responsible within these large business sectors because of the fact that they don't have an obligation to report it. Um, And that's a problem in and of itself. Those obligations could be set by the government, but they're not. um... (laughs) Because they're too busy focused on the individual and, and yeah. And, and like, so I learned about some of this actually, um, uh, I think about a year ago on TikTok from, there's a Canadian, is she Canadian or American living in Canada? It does not matter. Uh, she, her name on TikTok is Mackenzie. Um, she is a marine biologist, uh, living in Alberta currently, but she, what she used to be in Hawaii when she was doing like marine biology and she was talking to say a marine biologist in alberta can't be doing too hot in her field (laughs) in alberta but she was doing marine biology in um uh i believe it was hawaii i don't know where else she's worked but that's all i gathered from her profile (laughs) when Hmm. i used to follow it more heavily but she did a really great tiktok that that made her go viral um talking about specifically how the the war on plastic straws causes harm to disabled people and actually does virtually nothing for ocean waste when we're ignoring the fact that the majority of ocean waste comes from fishing waste and um, like nets being left in the ocean and things like that and I thought it was just so well done Um, and it was just it was this like eye-opener for me because I actually didn't know I knew that the ban on plastic straws was garbage Um, (laughs) Um, but like (laughs) literal um but because of how it like bans on single-use plastic predominantly affect the most marginalized people particularly people with disabilities and i got into a lot of arguments with people about this even people who i generally have forward-thinking conversations with i remember having one with a friend at one point about um well, I'm a waitress and, and you can all, you can still ask for a straw if you need one. It's just that we don't give them out. And I was like, okay, but imagine having to ask for one every time because it's something you rely on to be able to drink liquid. <laughs> like you can't have liquid without it. Well, why can't they just have reusable ones? Not every disabled person has the ability to clean them all the time or has the like, well, they should have personal support workers. Not every disabled person has a personal support worker. Like, the ignorance you know like on on, and it was just this like well why can't they ask well you're requiring every disabled person who needs one to always have to ask for one and to always have to out themselves as disabled you know it's it's just we are asking a more marginalized group to then have to further marginalize themselves to get something that they absolutely need when banning these single-use plastics like straws doesn't do a whole lot right now we're not focusing our energies in the right spot so i thought that what she had done was really Great. And it also opened up my eyes to like how much fisheries contribute to ocean waste and how much like we see in the news all of this stuff. Uh, and it is meant to be a fear tactic for the individual, right? It's meant to shame the individual. And while we need to be careful about how much waste we're producing, it was this like we see all this make sure 
make sure you're not tossing plastics because it'll end up in the ocean and it's going to kill a sea turtle. And none of the climate change stuff regarding, or none of the stuff on, on pollution in the ocean that is being like that it that we're given propaganda about is about the bigger causes of it. We are just told you have to stop being a terrible human being and using plastics and you will save all the sea turtles because otherwise you're a horrible human being and the world is going to end. And it's like, no, no, the world might end. Well, first of all, earth will survive, but humanity might end because we're all collectively just stupid. Like we, <laughs> We, a human being, one of the things, like, biggest phenomenons to me is the fact that, like, as human beings, we think because we are, we are the, like, thinkers that we are, and we can speak, and we can walk around, and we can, you know, we've created these empires and whatnot, we think that that makes us really smart. In fact, and I mean, like, this pandemic shows this, and also history shows this, but in fact, we are incredibly stupid because we have such huge egos as human beings that we are going to destroy our planet and while the earth will survive we will die and we deserve it (laughs) you know like when people are like we're gonna kill the planet i'm like yeah we probably will and and we will deserve what comes to us (laughs) because we're terrible this, (laughs) this pandemic has taught me that we like it's it's destroyed my hope and faith in humanity oh, um, in yeah. in large large ways. Um, anyone who's known me for an extended period of time knows that I'm a very cheerful, optimistic person. Much more that than is me. just who I am by default, um, and that is slowly eroding. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, no, it's fairly rapidly eroding, particularly <laughs> in the past year, um, because it's so disheartening. Yeah. To see how many people can't pull their heads out of their own. Oh my God fucking ass yeah for the sake of doing better by their neighbor uh it's so funny this i mean this is one of the things i love about tiktok is is how much they talk about stuff like well how much creators talk about stuff like this but two two points one i ask myself daily i do not know how to get you to care about other people you know like it's just this like how what will it take for you to care about somebody that's not yourself right um, and then like going with that, but as my second point, one of the things I really love about TikTok, and this is going to get into religion because I think just like Christianity is uh, a huge contributor to a lot of like white Christianity is a huge contributor to a lot of these issues that we have <laughs> uh, because they're the colonizers and well, we, we are the colonizers and we are, um, it's, it's white Christians who colonized and then came over and were like, yes, Catholicism and, and and evangelicalism and fundamentalism and all of this lovely bullshit. <laughs> and I see all these TikToks about uh, people like will will say a narrative of, oh, so <laughs> Susie as she um, right after she told somebody that they needed to work harder to get a better job to earn their keep as a person in church on a Sunday praising Jesus like just like. <laughs> And I'm like, that's it, though. That That is it. Like, we are, we, we collectively think, oh, I'm a good person because I go to church and I do my part selfishly. But then we will villainize individual people for choices that have nothing to do with their life and nothing to do. Like, why can we not just love thy neighbor? Like, literally, love thy neighbor is a commandment. If you're going to follow the Bible in any way, love thy neighbor. <laughs> Yeah. think about somebody that is not yourself 
for one second and consider that a lived experience might not be the same as your own and move on, move on. And also understand that there are ways like, yes, we need to hold each other responsible in an effort to do better in a lot of different ways. Correct. There are ways to go about doing that and there are ways to not. Being a condescending asshole is not one of those ways. What do you mean? Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Define condescending for me. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it, it, it plays out into so many avenues and so many facets and like it's you're never going to be perfect and that's fine but if we all you know take a hot second to think before opening our mouths and promptly inserting our foot halfway to our knee (laughs) we would probably be a lot better off than we are right now um and this translates over to our other rant from this week because mm-hmm. you had another thing happen last week. Now, this again is primarily going to look to you because as a male, I've had oh, a lot of privilege God. to not have experience with this. Um but yeah, go go off. Let let us know your other thing here because I do uh, okay. while I don't have personal experience, I have friends who have had similar experiences, fellow female friends. So I will have some anecdotes to add. So I'm going to preface this with what I have experienced as a white woman, like, yes, a queer woman, but as a, as a white woman is not even close to what BIPOC women experience in, in the medical world. So I'm going to preface it with that. I'm very aware of my privilege here. Um, But that being said, if I'm being treated this way, just imagine how bad it is. Um, and God forbid that any of these groups be fat too, right? Like as a fat woman, I'm actually really lucky that I have not experienced more medical fat phobia because a good shit ton of my other fat friends have, um, and a lot of it. So, um, keep all of these things in mind as I rant about this anyway. So one of the things that's been going on with me recently is, um, I have been dealing with, um, what seemed initially like a really long period but it was like very very heavy and it lasted a really long time like two plus months (laughs) um there was a point where i was losing like i've been losing a lot of blood and so i've i've been um really low energy and waiting for tests has been really difficult and anyway getting a diagnosis for anything to do with reproductive um uh organs whether you are a cis woman or or a trans a trans man or non-binary is it feels impossible sometimes there are so many things that get overlooked constantly because we do not yet know enough about reproductive health in women or in um, in uterus heifers i should say um there's just not we just don't know enough and so anyway um I went into the hospital twice in December for this and I, the first time I went, I was told, oh, well, I mean, it's not an emergency. Here's some, here's some like blood clotting pills, um, to like help the, help stop the bleeding, come back if it gets worse. And of course, like I couldn't get in to see my, 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 my own doctor soon enough and I'm not allowed to go to clinics through my doctor's office. I have to go to the hospital. So I did <laughs> during a pandemic. Actually, I should say going to the hospital during the pandemic, at least in this region, um, I went to St. Mary's hospital. My experience was phenomenal. Um, not 
some of the questions I was asked, but like just in general, in terms of the hospitals in this region, it was quick, it was efficient, people were generally friendly. So I will give that. Um, but uh, anyway, I go in, the nurse, the intake nurse asks me, are you pregnant? And I go, no. And she's like, is there any possibility you could be pregnant? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> are you sure? Yes. Okay, great. That should be enough. But it's not. It's not. Because then I got asked, well, okay, are you sexually active? Yes. Uh, how do you know you're not pregnant if you're sexually active? And then all of a sudden, I am forced to out myself and go, which is fine for me. I am safe to do so, but lots of people aren't. Um, and I go, because I sleep with women. So unless this is immaculate conception, I am not pregnant. So... It would be one thing if this was like a once in a while thing, but I experienced this not just from the intake nurse, but then also again from the doctor. So like, where is this information going once I say it? Is it not in my chart? Is it, you know, like, and then they also, both times I was in the hospital or I went three times, but two of the times I was in the hospital, they also made me take a urine sample specifically to ensure I'm not pregnant. <laughs> and I get that they want to make sure that it's not an ectopic pregnancy, um, which is really dangerous and really scary. But let's normalize believing women, <laughs> first of all, and finding a way to not force women to out themselves. Or also trans people should not have to out themselves in this situation. Like anybody with a uterus should not be forced to out themselves. <laughs> Just believe us like i get having to ask a couple times i get are you pregnant no are you sure yes like that okay but to ask me like four times and then make me clarify how it is exactly that i am 100 sure i'm not pregnant is such a gross feeling specifically since that like while i live my life really out and proud it is not fun to then have to every time be like because i sleep with women because I'm gay, right? Especially seeing as while uh, my experience with homophobia has been very little, I never know how a doctor or a nurse is going to react because homophobia in these fields does exist. And homophobia exists everywhere. Exactly. And I, had a, I had a friend actually tell me about a thing today. At his behest, I'm holding off saying anything. It will be an anecdote in another podcast, though. <laughs> okay. And it, I'm 100% yeah. going to be calling it yeah, this yeah. fucking company in BC. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, anything that forces anybody to, to out themselves for whatever reason, it's just, it's not okay. And it's, you know, people could make the argument, well, you don't have to out yourself. You can just say, I'm sure. And it's like, yeah, I did. Like, they did not believe me. The only way to get them to shut the fuck up about whether I'm pregnant or not was to be like, I sleep with women. <laughs> there's no there there is no sperm coming up anywhere near me stop it right like so not only does this happen twice every time i went to the hospital it also happened when i went to get my histogram so again where is this information going <laughs> you know maybe a medical person can tell me i don't know but like it is infuriating to have to go through this multiple times and to not feel like you're believed like especially the like the, the urine sample each time to ensure that I am um, not pregnant <laughs> because the first time I was told that that's what the urine sample was, was for to, to ensure that there were no enzymes or whatever it is in, in, in my urine um, to prove that I'm pregnant. Like it's just, you don't, you ask us and then you don't believe us and then you force us to add ourselves and then you still double check. Right. Like, yeah. and it, 
I get that, you know, in some ways, like at the hospital, it was almost framed as, in some ways, as, um, as we want to make sure that you are not in harm's way of like an ectopic pregnancy, something that could really harm you or kill you. When I went to get my histogram, which is for anybody who doesn't know, it is a it's a test where they actually insert a catheter and insert dye into your uterus before doing an internal ultrasound so that they can see the uterine lining um, and find essentially like it's um, it's a little bit of a painful experience. Like it's not it's not actually as bad as I was expecting, but it it can be painful. Um, but essentially what it does is like if you have a uterine polyp or which is what we thought I had, but turns out not. Um, it'll be able to define it better so that they can better diagnose it, essentially. Um, when I went into this, the nurse or whoever the, the tech was that was there, when she asked me multiple times and I looked at her and I went, when she was like, how are you sure? I said, because I'm gay. And then she got really like, oh, okay, well, uh, we just have to be sure. We just, we have to double check because, you know, we wouldn't want to go in there and find that there was a, you know, a, uh, a little embryo or whatever she said. I don't know whether it was baby or embryo or a little something in there and, and make a mistake and, 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 you know, whatnot. And you would lose the baby. And I was like, <sighs> see, the hospital made me think it was for my sake, but this makes me think that we are more concerned about potential unintentional abortion than we are about, you know, just listening to women. Because let me tell you, if somebody is absolutely certain that they are not pregnant and they give you a response like, absolutely not. Um, if you do find something in there, it probably wasn't wanted anyway. Like maybe that's a really insensitive thing to say, but like, I just, why are we not being listened to? It's, it's, it's like the amount of stories out there of women, of, of people with uteruses who go into hospitals for whatever reason because they're bleeding a lot or because they they're having a lot of pain and they're like or really really awful periods or whatever and they get turned away because they're told oh it's nothing oh it's nothing they're not listened to and then it turns out that they had horrible endometriosis which can eventually kill you <laughs> um or they end up with uterine cancer that wasn't caught early enough because they weren't listened to it's this is all part of the same beast right and then god forbid you be fat on top of it or a person of color or both of those things like the amount of women who have well the amount of anybody but particularly women who have gone into hospitals and said i have a broken leg or something and doctors have been have said how long have you been this fat is like, huh, interesting, those two things aren't related. Like, it's, the it, doctors need to listen. They need to listen. And, and, and it's part, it seems to be part of the training not to listen, like not to trust. It's not even the not listening. It's the not trusting us. And I, I feel like from everything that I've heard from various women in my life, it, it feels like there's a bit of an ego behind it. It's, well, I've done all of this medical training yes. for X amount of years. How could you possibly know better than me? Yeah. And the unfortunate <laughs> reality for a doctor is the fact that there is so much information at our hands these days. There's so much that we can look into. And also, if you had all of the answers, you would probably be sought after by every goddamn fucking person in the country. But you don't because especially for a generic physician... You haven't specialized in every field. Don't get no. me wrong. I know that you've done your, your 8, 12, mm -hmm. 16 years, and I respect that to the ends of the earth, as do most people. But you are not omnipotent. 
You are not omniscient. And you don't know my body, right? Like you, you might be a medical professional and you went into insane amounts of debt to get yourself this degree and you know a shit ton more than I do about the human body and what makes it work. But you do not know my body. And if I'm going in there and I am telling you that what I'm experiencing is not normal, and let me tell you, two months of extremely heavy bleeding is not normal. And any website, let alone doctor, would would tell you that. But I go into the hospital and they go, well, this isn't an immediate emergency. Come back if it gets worse. Like that... No, I am telling you something's wrong. It took me... And this is the piece I forgot to mention, but the second time I went into the hospital... I had to assert myself and tell this doctor, this isn't functional. I cannot work like this. I can't, like, how am I supposed to function at work? How am I supposed to get through my days? I was, um, at the time going to be doing a bit of driving and I was like, how am I supposed to sit in the car when I don't know when I'm going to be able to find a bathroom during a pandemic? How am I supposed to do that? Like, tell me how I can function. And then you tell me it's not that big of a deal. And then he goes, well, I guess I could order you an ultrasound tomorrow. And I am forceful enough to be that assertive. But so many women are not. So many trans people are not because they they have been told not to assert themselves most of their life. So like, this is part of the problem is that not only are we not being listened to and we're not being heard, but we also like... It is my body and I'm telling you something is wrong with it. You need to do the tests. Like you need, if you don't do the tests, you better be writing in my file that you chose specifically not to test me for this thing. So that when we find out something was wrong later on, I get to hold you accountable. Well, and I've seen so many posts circulating social media Mm -hmm. telling women to do that, to say if they don't want to do tests and you're requesting it and you're saying, I'm worried it might be X. And they say no. Tell them that you want that written and documented on your file. And it's so funny, too, because I literally just Mm -hmm. saw a a friend shared a thing this morning. um, And this is in relation to fat phobia within the medical world. And uh, this post says, I lost 75 pounds so doctors would stop blaming everything on my weight. I'm 5'6", I was 2'10 before, and I'm now 135 pounds. It took me a year year to lose it all, but what finally pushed me to lose the weight was because every single thing I went to a doctor for, it got blamed on my weight. Mm -hmm. Severe cramps? Weight. Feeling sleepy during the day? Weight. Numbness in my fingers, headaches, memory problems, balance problems? Weight. Recently went back to my doctor, who of course applauded the weight loss, Mm -hmm. and wrongly assumed all of my problems were gone. (laughs) When I said no, they hadn't, they immediately ordered an MRI, sleep study and lapro, which they hadn't done before the weight loss. The MRI found a Chiari malformation. The sleep study physical found out that I have an oversized uvula as well as narcolepsy. And the lapro found so much endo, I lost both of my ovaries and a portion of my colon and lower intestines. If it had been taken seriously a year ago, I might have not lost them at all. Yep. Yep. This is common. This is very common. And there's so, and that's just it. I flick through the comment section and this is just one friend in one region. And there are multiple, multiple women commenting and saying, yes, I've had this problem too. I've gone through this as well. Um, And it's so disheartening to see that. And for, for any woman or female presenting individual out there who has had to go through this, I am so fucking sorry that you have to endure this every time you go in. And obviously it's not every doctor, you know, we know that there are good ones out there. We know that are, there are ones that listen really, really well. Um, there's actually, collectively, a, 
collectively yeah. doctors are pretty fat phobic and and yeah, and, this... and and the rand well and fat phobic and, and misogynistic i should say because like they don't just listen to and we should i i should i'm gonna hold off the stuff on fat phobia because i think we should do a whole series on that <laughs> oh I could that is an entirely separate podcast forever but um but it's just it, it's we believe that doctors because they have all this training this goes back to a little bit what we were just saying because they have this training they know everything and we forget that doctors don't get a lot of experience in bedside manner they are not actually taught a lot of this in like they might get a small little uh training piece in it in med school but mostly in med school they're learning about medicine and and they don't get they don't get they get like one course in nutrition or something like that like i know it might be different in canada than it is in the states but i know that in the states they don't get very much nutrition training they don't get uh like not enough to recognize that like fat phobia is a thing you know and and people go into med school with preconceived biases towards what they know about about fatness or what they know about women or what they know about uteruses right like we go in with these preconceived notions already and then they come out of med school with the same notions it does not like it is still human beings going through these programs med school does not eradicate these biases and so when they become doctors and they're not listening especially when collectively it seems doctors are just trained not to believe women i mean one of the things that came from a friend of mine was telling me that like there have been some doctors who have said oh well uh my doctor friend told me it's because like lots of women lie about pregnancy and i was like okay i'm gonna say that lots of women probably don't actually lie about pregnancy i'm sure there are lots of women who don't realize that they are pregnant and that's that's fine but like very few women probably actually lie about pregnancy (laughs) you know um and even my friends who are who are in heterosexual relationships who um when their doctor asks very few of them actually go no there's no way i could be pregnant even with even if they have um uh um, oh my god the word is blanking uh the thing that they insert birth control doesn't matter even if they're on birth control of some sort an iud iud thank you hey (laughs) i was hoping for Uh, (laughs) non-vagina haver remembers the word yes um (laughs) even if they have an iud because they don't want to risk the possibility of it being an ectopic pregnancy most of them would just say hey no i'm not 100 sure and then you can go do some tests then you can do the urine sample but if somebody tells you i am 100 sure and you go well how are you sure if you if you're sexually active don't play stupid did you know that sex exists without sperm <laughs> you know like i'm just gonna it's just it's a possibility <laughs> wait it does <laughs> there what not all not all sex is between a man and a woman that's so interesting um oh i wasn't even thinking about that i just most most oh. of my sex in my life has ended <laughs> in sperm i'm just joke and i know <laughs> because i am too lesbian for that um <laughs> too lesbian for any sort of penis acknowledgement <laughs> yeah yeah so it says me who's like let's not think all sex is heterosexual and then i'm like forgetting that gay sex exists um <laughs> just ignore the penises uh, yeah, can but kiss it's, <laughs> but it's just it's it, yeah it's 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 this i mean that's another part of the tangent is we're we're assuming too that every single person that's seeking medical care is heterosexual which like no <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and and it, so it's just there's so many issues but like mainly we need to listen and trust and believe 
uterus havers who go to the hospital and have medical issues because we understand our bodies. We know something. I avoid the hospital like the plague. If I don't have to go, then I don't go. I only go to the hospital. Even my doctor, my family doctor knows that I only go when I absolutely have to, when I know something is wrong, right? Like my doctor has learned this about me. <laughs> um, I'm not somebody who goes all the time because I'm generally healthy. And if something's wrong, I will get it checked out. But otherwise, I'm fine. Um, same with the hospital. If I if, if I can avoid the hospital, I will, especially since wait times are generally pre-COVID astronomical. and I don't want to waste my time. Um, you know, like it's it's just uh anyway it's and more geared to our listeners as well too because I, I i highly doubt we have any doctors listening <laughs> into our little podcast um so more importantly for our listeners who may be the average person who does um just go to the doctor doesn't necessarily have a medical expert or someone they feel comfortable with don't be afraid to stand up yeah when you feel that something is wrong with your body and don't be afraid to push back and ask questions. Um, And if that means you need to have a friend go with you who might also give that push, by all means, lie and say they're your partner, they're your spouse, whatever you got to do to get them in there because your health is important. And if you're not going to be heard and if they're not going to take the conscientious approach, then you need to make yourself Exactly. I mean, even in the, even, I mean, I don't know what it was like during lockdown, but um, this was, oh no, I went during lockdown. Um, Even during lockdown, you were allowed one primary caregiver. um, And that could be anyway, like they didn't ask them what their relation to you was. They just asked, are you a caregiver um, or are you a care person? And so I could have had somebody with me. I, I generally wouldn't because I don't really need it. Like I can assert myself if I need to, but so many people are not comfortable doing that. And I get it. Like the doctor is the authority figure and it is really hard to assert yourself in those situations. Um, so if you have an assertive friend who's going to, who knows what you're dealing with and is not, not afraid to speak up for you, bring them along if you can, because if you have a Bronwyn in your life, bring them. <laughs> True. True, I will go to that for you. I'm a great hype woman. Um, anyway, as so well, that was... as I, I'll go to to bat for <laughs> any one of my friends too. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you want me along for the ride, you just shoot me a message. Um, the nice thing is, though, is that it does seem that we are in the early stages of a little bit of change in the landscape in the medical field. Uh, in newer medical practitioners starting to um, change the tone and trying to be a little bit more attentive, be assertive and know that they don't have all the answers and know that a lot of things that have been done in the medical field up until now uh, have caused problems. In particular, um, another TikToker, because I don't know how much a lot of TikTok I follow a lot of people, (laughs) but it is a good resource in a lot of ways. Um, There is one user by the name of That Gay Doctor, uh, and he is um, a very evidently um, gay male who is a physician uh, and he, a lot of his videos actually revolve around what his approach is to his patients, how he wants to breach subjects of, you know, weight and whatnot without being insensitive. He also talks about how you as a patient ways and questions that you can uh, spin it to your family doctor um, in such a way that they may be like, okay, like, you know, whatever I acknowledge what you're saying, um, let's, Check out the other ways. Um, and he's uh, on the younger side as far as doctors go. You know, I 
most of the doctors up here are on the much older end of the spectrum, <laughs> which means they are also stuck to the older ways. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, again, it's one person, but if I can find one person like that on social media, yeah. it gives me hope that there are others not necessarily as prevalent on any sort of social media platform who are hopefully working towards changing this yeah. dynamic. I mean, that's one of the things I actually really love about TikTok. And I know I've talked about this before, but it is when like millennials are becoming professionals in these, in these areas like lawyers or doctors or what, and they're using TikTok to share information that is usually withheld from the public. That is actually really, really helpful to people seeking advice. Um, and I really appreciate that about doctors that have gone on and have been giving just like wholehearted information and advice to people so that they are the most informed when they go in and so that they know that not all doctors are right when they say no to something or when they say that they don't think it is that something or um it's i think that like social media has a really and we've talked about this before but it has a lot of really positive um uh, impacts this 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 way because we are able to, um, you know, professionals are able to use it and be like, okay, as a young professional who's gone through this field and also has the experience of another millennial or as, a, you know, somebody who's living in this generation of, of people who feel really slighted by the system, like, let me tell you my knowledge so that you have it too. And I think that that's so huge. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. So just remember, a professional is someone who gets paid to do what they know how to do. Yeah. That is it. Mm -hmm. I am technically a professional singer because I have been paid to sing before. Don't go throwing me on fucking Broadway or nothing because <laughs> I ain't going to hold a candle to shit, but I'm a quote-unquote professional. So yeah. unless someone is a leading global expert yes. in their field, they are subject to the possibility of being wrong. Yes. And you know what? Even the leading global experts will acknowledge that they don't have all the answers and something, especially in the medical field, which is science-based, they acknowledge that it is constantly evolving. Yes. Science is not a fixed thing. Yes. There is always changes. There is always something more to learn, more to know, and more yes. to work on. And you are the expert of your body. You might know, not know what's going on, but if you sense that something's wrong, something's probably wrong so don't be afraid to get it checked out and to assert that you need to get it checked out so anyway that's our those, those are fun little anecdotes today <laughs> this uh, yeah this was pretty ranty and i mean like a lot of these two like we again we're this is at what are, did i say episode five at the top of this around episode five or six uh this would be five this is five yeah yeah, we, we know what we're doing. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why, too? It's because I forgot last week, too. I casually glazed over the fact that we hit episode four, which is a one-month mark for us, which means we have had oh, yeah. four consecutive friggin' weeks of doing this. Now I five. Even, I didn't even think about it. I totally glossed over it, too. I was like, yeah, we just do this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a part of our lives. Yeah. It's our Tuesday nights. Yeah. Um, and I love it. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, we also acknowledge that we are still very much in the early stage. And there is a lot more to unpack with these topics. Yes. So expect that we will come back to them. But yeah. again, we kind of want to address things as they are relevant in our lives, as something happens that triggers. So that way the conversations are a little more organic yeah. um, and a well, little less Q&A interview shit. And that's exactly it, is that like, as things happen to us throughout the week, um, I will 
like we will snapchat each other and be like i've got a rant and while i want to keep some of it so that you can i can get your genuine reaction when we do the podcast here's the gist and then the other will be like yeah let's talk about that you know <laughs> so it's um this is, and, and i mean like that's how we like it i mean if there's too much planning that goes into this it's just i don't think it's gonna be quite the same so <laughs> Yeah, like we, we're obviously we're keeping planning in the terms of there does need to be some structure. Yes. Obviously, our, our intro, we're falling into a bit more of a routine now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it. A lot of people have commented that they appreciate that it's organic. Um, I've heard from a few people saying that our podcast keeps getting better and better week after week. Uh, so I hope that y'all, the collective listeners, yeah. uh, are feeling the same way as people who are communicating to me. And again... Feel free to give us feedback by following us on our socials <laughs> at Sibling Rants on Instagram and Sibling Rants Pod on Twitter. Uh, or you can also email us directly if you've got something that you want us to address or bring up, uh, siblingrants at gmail.com. Absolutely. We'll be happy to respond and engage. And, and one last plug for if you're on Apple Podcasts or if your podcast streaming site does allow you to leave a review, please pop one in for us because it definitely helps us out. Heck yeah. Uh, that's... <laughs> That's been a rant. That's it. And then some. It's been a couple. It's been a couple. <laughs> it's been a few rants. Join us next week when we deal with who fucking knows what. I love that. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.